Hey everyone, this is Cody. Uh, we're back. The That I May See podcast with uh, with me and Miriam Boone. We're back, and uh, we're we're glad to make a new episode. Sorry it's taken so long. Um, life's just kind of been crazy, and uh, but that's okay. That God God brings those things our way in some mysterious way to sharpen us and edify us. And um, but this episode is this another good episode? I really enjoy uh, Miriam's thoughts on First Kings. Uh, that's what we present to you is seeing wonderful things in first kings and one of the things we're going to talk about some of the things we're going to talk about in this episode is uh the gospel in first kings we're going to talk about mary and and how she's connected to uh, this book even though she's not in it we're going to talk about king solomon and wealth and what real success looks like and, and what it means to build an empire on loving your neighbor instead of on the backs of your neighbor and and by manipulation and coercion we're going to talk about uh, God's gracious invitation as opposed to the way punitive uh, coercion works and so I'm really excited about this episode and and uh, we're excited to be back and I hope you enjoy so yeah Hey, hey. Hello. Miriam, what's up? <laughs> it's been too long. It's good to I know. Me. People there people are messaging me like, yo, where'd your podcast go? <laughs> I was like, the rapture happened. It just went away. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we got to first kings. They're like, uh Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, they're like the Bible's too crazy from this point on. <laughs> it really is about to get real intense, but yep, it's good. yep. It's I'm excited good. to hear what you have to say. How, how have you been? Um, good. It's you know, it's been finally the most amazing weather here, which I feel like that mm. just makes everything better when you're not mm-hmm. hot or cold. That's you right. go outside. Um, so that's been really that's fun. Awesome. How's Nashville treating you? It's well. Weather's weather's getting pretty good here too. Um. It's raining today, or at least w- was this morning. Okay. But, but I know it's it's pretty pretty well, pretty well. Just uh, you, I was just uh, I was just talking about you. Oh oh dear. I was just gossiping about you and that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, now I was talking to you, uh, talking about you to my pastor. Awesome. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. We, we had um, we had kind of a fun thing happen in the neighborhood. So I've got all these neighborhood kids who love coming over. And, yeah, um, I saw. Oh, is it, did you post that online? <laughs> I did. The trampoline broke, <laughs> and they just did not let it stop them. They were just like, "Now <laughs> we have a slide," and it was like more fun than having a trampoline. <laughs> and I was just like, "Wow, that is the power of childhood for you." It's like Listen. I'm like, "Oh no, the trampoline broke," and they're all just like, "Yeah." One <laughs> one time, my cousin. Uh, my cousin Matt was one of my best friends growing up, uh-huh. and he was like six years older than me. So sometimes he would like literally babysit us, uh, even though he was like my brother. <laughs> and uh, and we were all jump on the trampoline in our backyard. And he's bigger than us. you know. I'm like I think I'm like ten years old. He's sixteen. Like that's a significant difference in uh-huh. size. And so we was jumping on the trampoline in the backyard, and he just went through it. Yeah. <laughs> And the whole trampoline split in half. 
and oh. and he he hurt his knee, and me and my sister were laughing so hard. I was gonna say, I, I, something tells me you did not run over and extend compassion, but that you <laughs> fell out. Just laughing. Listen, I that's that's one of my flaws. Is if so, no matter how bad it is, if something's funny, I can't I can't contain. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, man. Um, oh, let's man. get into it so i would love yeah. to hear i'm going to give the kind of context of um, first kings and then i kind of want you to if you want to go and just kind of give us some of your thoughts some of the wonderful things that you see um in uh first kings and if you're listening uh i usually do an intro and i'll do one uh you'll you'll hear it but welcome to the that i may see podcast um where we uh, are trying me and miriam are trying to show uh, the Bible is not boring. The Bible is very interesting and that uh, God showed us, shows us wonderful things uh, in his word in every single book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to do. And so kind of the context of first Kings is this is coming right off the heels of David's reign as king. Yeah. And so David is known as a warrior king, right? He, uh, even before he becomes king of Israel, um, he was known for being a warrior for fighting battles for killing thousands of people uh, in, in, in some battles and uh, thousands of thousands, it even says. And so mm-hmm. um, he, he has a troubled past. If you read first and second Samuel, especially second Samuel, where, you know, David rapes Bathsheba mm-hmm. kind of forces her to marry him. And that kind of causes this uh, butterfly effect to ripple across Israel and affect his son and his daughter, and there's just this civil war that happens um, in the kingdom of Israel, and you can trace it back to the abuse of David uh, against Bathsheba. Yeah, and and so and there are good things about David as well. Don't you know? Don't get me wrong; he is God's chosen king. But I just kind of wanted to give a brief overview. And now this, starting in chapter one, uh, David's about to die. Mm-hmm. You know, it says now King David was old and advanced in age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's about to die. And then uh, his sons fight for power. Mm-hmm. And so what so so Miriam kind of what are. Oh, I'm sorry. Also to say first Kings is go, what, what first Kings is going to show us. There's a there's a thing in chapter two where David talks to Solomon. David chooses, you know, David wants Solomon to be king. Right. Right. And he says, uh, chapter two, it says, as the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon. And this is what he says to his son Solomon. He says, as for me, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong and be a man and keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses. Um, For those of you who are not familiar with that language, the law of Moses is the... uh, not just the Ten Commandments or not even just Exodus and Leviticus. It is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the law of Moses. So, and then he says, uh, so that you'll have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's kind of get into it, uh, Miriam. I'd love yeah. to hear your initial thoughts. Some things you see in this book um, that stood out to you. Yeah, so I, there's a couple things that ha- were really sweet to me as I went, went and read this. Um, preparing for this podcast that I, were not things that I've, I'd seen before. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things, so the Bible is, you know, we talk about biblical theology. There's these themes that run mm-hmm. through all of scripture and there's certain words or images, they pop up and it's like, it's supposed to kind of make you think, you know, like 
the the authors of scripture are good writers. And so mm-hmm. that's right. to be good readers. So I'm reading first Kings, King David. So mm-hmm. all of this imagery, all of this, um, this tracking through the story of like, there's going to be a king who's going to sit on the throne of David. And mm. there is this really interesting story that starts first Kings that mm-hmm. is kind of bizarre. And I'm not going to go into all the details of it. But basically, they go get this young, they look for a young virgin. And Hmm. they bring this young virgin. Basically, how I would interpret this is she is essentially exploited for the good of the king. Mm. Um, She is put in a vulnerable position. And they Mm. say he was not intimate with her because they have to say that because she's Mm. so vulnerable in this situation. Hmm. Right. And it's just striking to me that in the end of King David's life, he uses his kingship to take advantage of a young virgin. Mm. And what a contrast that is to the Mm -hmm. beginning of the story of Christ who will sit on the throne of David. Mm. That his story begins with a young virgin, not who he exploits, but who he puts in a position of like, he puts himself in the ultimate position of vulnerability in relationship Mm. to this young virgin. So Mm. that he is dependent upon the young virgin, Mary, for his very life. Mm -hmm. And she is in the position of honor and power Mm. in relationship to Christ. Isn't that crazy? Mm, that's a that's really good it's insight. Just that's such great. Such a flip, and so you just, yeah, it's just that that's just one thing that kind of jumped out to me as I was is starting to read with him. Yeah, and then you've got all this stuff that you know comes in with Solomon, and I think a lot of what what is kind of being wrestled with here in this early story about Solomon is what is it that God values in a king, and mm-hmm. you know you probably heard. Um, if you grew up in church, you heard as a kid this story about God appearing to Solomon in First uh, Kings chapter 3. And God basically shows up and says, what should I give you? Right. And it's kind of like mm-hmm. this is, you know, what would you ask for? What would you know? And the way I, I remember kind of thinking of this as a kid was I was like, OK, he could have asked for money. He could have asked for um, honor. And instead he asked for like wisdom, like to be smart. Mm -hmm. And so I thought of it as kind of like he had a lot of knowledge and that's part of it. It says that, you know, he's got tons of knowledge, but when God comes back and says, um, in verse 11, it well, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you've requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself, or the death of your enemies, but you ask discernment for yourself. What, what's it for to administer justice? I'll Mm -hmm. therefore do what you asked. Mm -hmm. The reason that God was so pleased with Solomon's decision was because it reflects what God valued in a king. That Mm -hmm. king is supposed to be just. And the king is on the throne Mm -hmm. for the people, not for himself. So the long life or the riches or the death of his enemies, those are things that would have benefited Solomon. 
But God mm-hmm. affirms Solomon's decision to use his position and to use his access to God to ask for something that will actually serve the most vulnerable people in the kingdom. And that mm-hmm. is evident by the story that unfolds right after this about the two women. And I don't know how I missed this. I guess it just wasn't mentioned in when it was like uh, told to me growing up. But it says in verse 16 that these two women who show up to Solomon asking for his wisdom were prostitutes. So mm-hmm. they're presumably living in some kind of like... Um, Coercive, manipulative yeah. Yeah, situation. They are yeah. like living in a house where they are being exploited and victimized. Yeah. And these babies are not babies that were likely had come to them because they have some loving relationship. I was about to say, yeah, those babies are most likely the product of their uh, exploitation. Yeah, absolutely. And there's this incredible story told about how basically Solomon uses his wisdom to solve this problem and to preserve the life of this baby and make sure it stays with its rightful mother. But it's just Mm -hmm. so striking to notice who the wisdom is for. Who did God want mm-hmm. to benefit from Solomon's wisdom? And mm-hmm. it's these prostitutes. And I just that's think right. that's something like I think about. That's right. I was talking to a friend the other day who's a, uh, in college um, getting a Bible degree. And I just think we have to hold on to all of the wisdom that we are learning is meant mm-hmm. to be used for justice. For those who are vulnerable. That's right. That's, that's, that's right. the heart of the good king. And ultimately we see that that's going to be the heart of Christ. But that's what God values. That's right. Oh, absolutely. And it's like, you know, it, I think it's even good to think about it like this, right? So, you know, if you go to your average uh, person in our society and you say, uh, what, what, does a, what does your average kid need to progress mm-hmm. in society? They'll say they need to learn to read, right? Mm-hmm. And then you'll say, well, why do they need to learn to read? Well, you know, they need to learn to read to get a good job and, and to, you know, make good money and be financially stable. But what if we were to teach our kids like, hey, let's teach our kids to read so that they can administer justice. Wow. Yeah. You know, like what, like, l- let's educate our children for the purpose of mm-hmm. helping people, right? Loving the poor, loving neighbor, loving the immigrant and the sojourner and the foreigner, loving women, yeah. um, vulnerable women and, and uh, l- you know, loving the marginalized. Mm-hmm. Like, what if that was the reason that we were like, hey, this is why it's important to read, because this will help you love right. whom God right. tells us to love. Absolutely. And what, what I think is interesting is... Uh, how success is defined, but not defined in this book. Mm-hmm. Right. So in chapter two, let's go back to what David says to Solomon. He says, um, this is written in the law of Moses. You know, he basically tells Solomon to walk in the ways of the Lord uh, so that he will have success in everything that he does wherever he turns. Now, traditionally we've <coughs> been taught that Solomon has success and he does, mm-hmm. but what gets him his success is my question. Mm-hmm. And um, in chapter three, it says Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Yeah. Um, Some, you know, and and that right there, it's so interesting. You see God's grace, even in that situation, God still blesses Solomon. But Solomon is already breaking 
the commands, not only of his father, but of, of what God says in the law of Moses, right. right? You're not supposed to marry foreign, right. foreign women, foreign people, not because, not because of any kind of racism or xenophobia, but because, uh, the foreign women at that time worship different gods. Right. It, it, and if you look it throughout, raises this yeah, question, go ahead, go ahead. like what, why are you returning to something that you have been rescued from? Right. That's right. And, That's right. You're going back to, yeah. but, but here's, what's interesting. Solomon becomes Pharaoh in this story. Yes. Yep. Now, if you've if if you're listening, you're not familiar with the uh, you know Hebrew narrative. Remember that in um, in Exodus, God's people were slaves for four hundred years, and He rescues them from slavery. This is what Miriam just mentioned. This is what she hinted at, and He rescues them from slavery. And uh, but He's trying to. It's almost like you know in the Book of Exodus and the rest of the uh, Torah. Uh, the first five books of Moses, um, God takes the slaves out of Egypt, but he's trying to take the Egypt out of these Hebrews, right? He's trying to take their idolatry that they've been kind of accustomed to for hundreds of years, right? But what you see in, in this book, and I think it's really, I think it's really good that you pointed, that you kind of picked up on the Egypt language, is um, here's what it says in First Kings chapter 5. It says, then King Solomon drafted forced laborers. Mm-hmm. From all Israel, <laughs> labor for That's right, forced labor, uh, uh, aka right. slaves. Okay, that's what forced labor is. It is you're forcing someone to work for right. free. Um, the labor forced, uh, force number thirty thousand men. Adoniram was in charge of the forced labor, and then if you kind of go over a few more chapters, um, I think it is in chapter nine. Uh, if you go all the way over chapter nine, it, go, it gives you a little more detail. Okay, it says this is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon had imposed to build the Lord's temple. Think about that: mm-hmm. slave labor build the Lord's mm-hmm. temple. So you know, and it, it's interesting because you know there are many monuments in America that was built by forced labor, yeah. and this is and the reason I bring this up is because this is the kind of quote unquote success that our world thinks of and that our world achieves, but it's all, it's so much. Uh, this is what I think is missing in the, in the kind of a uh, human historical narrative. Much of human achievement has been at the expense of vulnerable people. That's absolutely right. And, and it's right. So Whether it's the building. Yeah. To yeah, consider just the contrast, like, like Solomon mm-hmm. asked, will God indeed live on earth? After he built mm-hmm. his temple, and you 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 think of these people, and it's like they're all of these promises that have been made to Moses and to God's people mm-hmm. have been like that. There will be a time of blessing, and everyone's mm-hmm. looking at Solomon. There's peace on every side. There's wealth. There is a mm-hmm. house that is built for the Lord. Feels, yeah, they're, they're they're saying make Israel great yes, again. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and they it's like it's we're here, we made it, and yet mm-hmm. when God actually came to live on Earth, He came not to enslave or to serve, mm-hmm. to to be served, but to serve and to lay His life down, and. I just think like stories like this help us understand 
how truly radical Israel's king was when he when mm-hmm. Jesus comes and says, "I'm the true king of Israel." Like, That's right. This was yeah. You, you, they you thought see, that Solomon yeah, yeah. was the height. Yep. And they thought, yeah, they thought Solomon and David. They thought the Messiah, the coming king, would be a combination of the of the first two true kings of right? Israel. Um, the warrior king who crushes God's enemies and the wise king who brings wealth and prosperity to the nation. And, and that, yeah, yeah that's absolutely right. And, the, and but what's interesting, Oh, go ahead. Okay, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Say the queen of Sheba comment. Yeah. 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 I'm about to say, go, get says, into that. That'd be great. God has delighted in you and put you on the throne of Israel, which is so interesting because mm-hmm. God delights in Christ. Right. Because that's right. God puts, Solomon on the throne, he said, she says, because of Yahweh's eternal love for Israel. So the good peace mm. is there because God loves the people. And then she says, That's he right. made you king to carry out justice and righteousness. And what we see mm-hmm. right there on the heels of forced labor, you start to go, uh-oh, mm-hmm. if God made Solomon king to carry out justice, Mm-hmm. Is he really the king? Is this really the time of blessing that we've waited for? Right. Because it, yeah. some of us are safe and some of us have been drafted to go build the king's stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that there was right. probably a lot of people right. in Israel who were turning a blind eye to the forced slavery. Because things were pretty good for most people. That's right. That's absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's almost like, you know, that scene of Black Panther at the very beginning where uh, I think it's Mbaku who's like, or no, it's not Mbaku, it's uh, Killmonger. He's like, is this your king? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, that, you, you see that God in the sense is doing that with all these kings. He's saying, yeah. he's saying to the reader and to the people at the time, like, is right. this the king that we're looking for? And you realize it's not. And, and I, But I love... I love that it's the Queen of Sheba. It's a woman, a powerful mm-hmm. woman, who stands up to the most powerful king in the ancient right. world, um, and is and is basically saying because I think what she's doing is subversive, uh-huh. right? Like I don't think this isn't that what her her narrative is not in a right. vacuum. Like it, her if you think about it, her narrative comes literally on the heels of Solomon's forced labor, right. kind of like you were saying right. earlier, right? And so God is bringing this woman to to put Solomon in mm-hmm. check. I mean, think of, but, but here's what happens. He rejects it. Right. He rejects it. Think about it like this. Um, Solomon becomes an arms dealer. Yeah. Okay. So if you look at the very end of that right. same chapter, chapter 10. Says Solomon accumulated fourteen hundred chariots, twelve thousand horsemen, stationed them in the chariot cities, uh, and with the king uh, in Jerusalem. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and Kuwait. The king's traders bought them from Kuwait at the going price. So right. he's buying right. weapons from people. Um, he and by weapons I mean horses. Horses right. were considered weapons right. in the ancient world. Um, a chariot was and the chariots were like mm-hmm. tanks in the ancient world. A chariot. Uh, was imported from Egypt for 15 pounds of silver and a horse for four pounds. In the same way, it says very end, they, Solomon's guys, exported them to all the kings of the Hittites, 
and to the kings of Aram through their yeah. ages. So, so, so this is crazy. Like he's do he's not doing he's doing what you're not supposed to do right. as a king in Israel. You're not supposed to marry foreign women who worship other gods. Choir horses, um, acquire and, gold. Exactly. You're not supposed to build your military. Why? Because Israel's military was supposed to be solely dependent upon God to the, right. to deliver them. Right. Um, and so it's it's just it's crazy. And then eventually, the, finally, the the writer says in chapter eleven that <laughs> that uh, Solomon was unfaithful right. to God. <laughs> and you're like, why are you say why are you say right. before? You know, like. And I but, think um, part of the way the narrative is written is I think we're supposed to kind of experience the dissonance that the people felt. That's right. Where it's like, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Things are going good. The blessings here, there's temples. Uh, Solomon's really smart. He yep. started out using some stuff for justice, but he's kind of got these side things. And then all of a sudden you're yep. like, wait a second, this is not a man who's faithful to God. Like God would not want mm-hmm. this, and, and that's right. So I think that's that right. you know it's like you're kind of coming to this realization, and then mm-hmm. after Solomon's death, you just see everything explode. And there's one story that I just wanted to briefly touch on. I know we don't have much more time, mm-hmm. but um, we'll, we'll probably get into yeah. the prophets more when we we dive into Second Kings and such. But um, mm-hmm. but Elijah. There's this this whole story about Elijah and Ahab. There's so many great stories about Elijah. But I just want to highlight one mm-hmm. because it, it just kind of jumped out to me. I thought it was really interesting. Um, Elijah, this prophet, God raises up. And he's in this contentious relationship with the king Ahab, who is this evil king mm-hmm. because Elijah's calling him out on it. And Elijah ends up going and going outside of Israel and staying with this widow in Zarephath. And mm-hmm. in first Kings chapter 17, basically God has done this miraculous provision where he allowed this oil and flour that this woman has to not run out so that Elijah and her and her son will have enough food. And so that mm-hmm. says the flour jar did not become empty, the oil jug did not run dry, according to the word of the Lord he had spoken through Elijah. And then after this, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. His illness got worse mm. until he stopped breathing. And so she said to Elijah, man of God, why are you here? Have you come to call attention to my iniquity so that my son is put to death? And I, I think mm. this is such a striking moment because this is a question that we often find ourselves asking when suffering comes into our lives. And when this woman, this foreign woman, as her son, she, she's losing her son. He stops breathing. Mm-hmm. And so she says... Is this because I'm a sinner? Are you Mm. here to punish me for my sin? Like, is God letting my son die Mm. because I haven't done enough good things? And I think Mm -hmm. it's so striking that Elijah responds and he says, give me your son. And he takes him up 
and he says, Lord, let this boy's life come into him again. And the Lord listens to Elijah. The boy lives. And then the woman says to Elijah, now I know you're a man of God. He says, look, your son is alive. Mm. And I just think this is this beautiful window into Yahweh's heart. That Yahweh's Mm -hmm. heart toward Israel and towards the world is not to bring condemnation, but is to give Mm -hmm. life. And she assumes, like, this is happening because God doesn't care. And Elijah's like, God, I know you're a life giver. Like, Mm -hmm. bless her even more. Don't don't cause her more suffering. And I just, I just mm. a story that, you know, a small little story in the, in the, the scope of Elijah's life. But I think it's just this window into mm-hmm. God's heart that God is constantly reminding us, like, who, what his heart is. And this is why, you know, King Solomon does not reflect the heart of God. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's the prophets, <laughs> you know, and what's interesting about this passage is you see so many of these same illusions um, in the mm-hmm. gospel of John. Right. So, uh, you know, when it says um, verse 14, he says the flower jar will not become empty and the oil jar will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. You mm-hmm. see Jesus do that by mm-hmm. turning water into wine. Right. And, and which is a sign mm-hmm. of God's abundance. Um, and that God does not desire for the oil jug to run dry in your life. He does not desire for the flower jar to be empty in your life. He wants you to be satisfied and he wants you to enjoy life. You know, he he came to give life and to give it abundantly. And, and then, you know, even when, even when, uh, she, you know, she goes, this widow goes, now I know you're a man of God. That's, that's the Samaritan woman, Right. She, I mean, she's, she's expecting condemnation mm-hmm. and instead of condemnation, uh, Jesus provides her with life. And then she says, now I know who you are, you know, but there's a really cool thing that happens in, um, first Kings chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 11. It's really interesting. So, um, when it says, uh, that God was angry with Solomon because his heart turned away from the Lord. He, he does something. Verse 11, he says, The Lord said to Solomon, Since you have done this, and did not keep my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. However, I will not do it during your lifetime. For the sake of your father, David, I will tear it out of your son's hand. Yet I will not tear the entire kingdom away from him. I will give one tribe to your son, for the sake of my servant, and for the sake of the Jerusalem, or of Jerusalem that I choose. Now, this is kind of a, a, a theme I hit quite a bit in our episodes, but right here you have the corporate nature mm. of sin and the corporate nature right. of blessing. And how, okay, if you, if you, if you let, you know, let's say you kind of combine the two, corporate sin, corporate blessing, it presents to you the gospel. Mm, that's so good. So, so for example, he says, since you've done this, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it to your kids, right? So, so, this is one thing our society, especially Christians, don't get in our society that, you know, these men, you know, Solomon's sons are going to be punished for what he did. But Solomon receives blessing for what his right. father did. 
that's the gospel. Jesus is punished and he takes the curse because of what we've done. And we, like Solomon, wow. get the blessing for what God has That's done so through good. Jesus. So even in this small passage, like you see the right? gospel come forth and 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 kind of dismantle even our modern days of like individuality. Right. Which we really have to deal with that and... in our own hearts to fully understand the gospel is that we have to to recognize right. that like how God treats us is not primarily dependent on how we have treated God, but rather on the obedience and faithfulness of Christ. That's right. And, and what's interesting too, in Kings chapter 12, first Kings chapter 12, because I think this is such a display of God's character or or a Mm -hmm. contrast to God's character. Right. So you have Rehoboam, right. And um, Rehoboam is forcing these people to work, you know, forced labor in a lot of ways to uh, serve him. And so they summon, it says, uh, what does it say? It says, when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard about it, he stayed in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon's presence. Jeroboam stayed in Egypt. But they summoned him and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, which is one of the kings of Israel. This is after Mm -hmm. the kingdom has been divided. Um, And he says, your father made our yoke harsh. You, therefore, lighten your father's harsh service and the heavy yoke he put on mm. us, and we will serve you. And what you realize is um, right. he doesn't do that. He gets, he gets advice from, he gets, you know, advice from counsel. Uh, and he basically says, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. And um, he says, although my father burdened you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with barbed whips. And mm. eventually they overthrow him. Right. Like eventually um, it says, chapter, verse 18, and King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who is in charge of forced labor, but all <laughs> Israel stoned him to death. Uh, King Rehoboam managed to get into the chariot and flee to Jerusalem. Israel is still in rebellion against the house of David today. Now, what this communicates, and this is so important for Christians to hear this. God does not lay it on thick to get mm. you to repent. Yep. One of the things that the history of humanity has taught us is that uh, harsh punishment does not right. cause repentance. God's not mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to beat it out of you. You know, it's, it's love. And, and what you see with Jesus is, I mean, think about it like this. Rehoboam is a wicked king. And the only way he thinks people will serve him is if he's harsh. But then you have King Jesus, who he says, I am gentle and lowly. My right. yoke is not wow. heavy. I love that contrast. And, and my burden is light. And then, and then what happens? Thousands and millions of people throughout the world today for 2,000 years have died for Jesus. They right. will give their life for him. And it's not because he's a bad king, but because right. he is a right. gracious and good king. If you want, if you want to encourage people to serve Jesus, don't tell them, "Hey, you better right. do this, or you're going to hell." You better do this, or such and such and such will happen. Now, there are those warnings in Scripture, but what the Bible is primarily saying is, you should want to serve right. God because He's a good Which master. Is exactly, exactly. He's a good that king. Story that we were just talking about with Elijah, like God is a life giver, mm-hmm. He is a healer, He is a restorer. That's right. He is a provider, like. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And you are, yep, you exactly and right. your neighbors are safe when God is on the throne. Yeah. Mm, 
Amen. Miriam, before we get off, do you have any um, kind of ending mm-hmm. thoughts or encouragements for, for our you audience? You know, I, we didn't have time to get into it, but um, I I think one one other thing I would just say is that you have this story of the temple being built and the presence of God um, mm. in the temple and yet you have this other story that comes towards the end of first Kings where Elijah is on the run and evil has take seemingly taken over and is winning in the kingdom. And God mm. gives Elijah this piece of advice where he, well, first of all, it says an angel touched him, which I'm like, Oh, is that where the touch by an angel? Came from? Anyways, <laughs> first Kings 19, <laughs> God tells him, go out and stand on the mountain in Yahweh's presence. And it's this incredible reminder that Mm. God's presence is not just in the halls of power or in the religious um, Mm. monuments that have been built on the backs of slaves, but rather that God's presence is here in the wilderness with one of his prophets who is discouraged and down, um, downtrodden, disheartened, and at that moment, Yahweh passed by. And I think mm. that's just a, an encouragement for us in our lives that, like, yeah, go looking for God in in those places of assembly and those moments of victory and bless apparent blessing, and pay mm. attention to the Lord's presence there. Enjoy those things. But know that when you find yourself alone in the wilderness, feeling like you are the only voice that is still speaking for justice, God is present with you. Mm. And what he's going to say to you is you are not as alone Amen. as you think. That's right. Huh. Amen. So Thank you for it's that. super good to talk to you. Let's, yeah. let's do Second Kings yeah. sooner than two months from now. <laughs> We'll, we'll hit it next week. Next week. Listen, I understand. I know things. Yeah. Right. I know life yeah. has been crazy. So I get that. It was that. really but encouraging. Thank Great you so much, Miriam. Bye. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye.